Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater, the live interactive podcast that's essentially a book club for movies and TV shows. It streams live on YouTube Monday through Thursdays around 3 p.m. Eastern. If you want to catch those live broadcasts, go to repeattheaterlive.com. Repeattheaterlive.com will take you to the YouTube. You can click subscribe and the bell button. You won't miss out on the streams if you do that. We're hoping to unlock the join button soon so you can become a paying member. If you'd rather use Patreon, you can go to repeattheater.com. Just take the live out. So repeattheaterlive.com takes you to YouTube. Repeattheater.com takes you to the Patreon. So this is episodes five through six of season one of Stranger Things. This is what this review is about. We uh, we do these spoiler-free, so obviously some significant things happen in episodes 7 and 8. I've already watched 7, and we'll be watching 8 tonight, because I'm always watching for the next week, but I won't put any spoilers. If this is, in fact, uh, if this is, in fact, your your first time watching, uh, we we don't want uh, we don't want to spoil it for you, but if we get to VIP call-ins, that's where we allow for spoilers. So, this is where things really start to heat up in the show, and I really start to enjoy the character development of especially Joyce and Hopper. Uh, they sort of take center stage for a lot of the developments. Joyce is undeniably my favorite character in the series. You you guys are, are know that by now. I praise her every week. Winona Ryder stole the show, in my opinion, uh, with, with her acting chops. But episode five opens up with Hopper sneaking in. And I just wrote down here, dude's got balls. I mean, he, he breaks into this place. He punches. He draws his gun. I mean, he's you can tell he's not just some small-town cop. There continue to be those hints and continue to be those, those elements of being able to get into get into this place and 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 get a look at what's going on then we get a a look at joyce she's talking to her ex-husband i appreciate how it's cold there's no comfort from him she just decides to drink she's not really looking to hear from him uh she doesn't really like this it seems like she's just sort of temporarily uh tolerating him l l finally says the term upside down so this is how long it takes episode five is when we first get sort of a descriptive term for where will and barb are is the upside down and mike explains it as the other side and they continue with the really fun parallels to DD with the veil of shadows and this this drifted from the show for a little bit and then it comes back in in this episode they're not they're not rigid with the 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 D, the dungeons and dragons they're not rigid with those parallels but it comes back again here with the veil of shadows all of this is happening while hopper gets closer the tension between jonathan and his dad i actually think is fantastic i think one of the other shining actors in the show is jonathan he does a stellar job i uh, to, to act across from Winona Ryder in a lot of the emotionally intense moments is got to be difficult because she just does such a good job. She's so much more experienced than him. But his acting across from his dad, I think, is really, really good. You can tell there's a history there, and I, I thought they conveyed that very, very well because you don't know exactly what happened, but you get a general idea, and I like some of the backstory telling that they did with that. The mixture of the response at the funeral is perfect. So we all kind of know that something else is going on at this point, and the boys are, you know, the one boy's laughing. He's like, imagine when we tell him that this girl was crying at his at his wedding. Uh, and then Hopper wakes up and he searches for the he searches the place and he finds the bug. So we're we're seeing uh, Hopper go from 
kind of at the beginning of the season, he's raw, he's kind of hungover, he's sort of a slob, to he starts his investigative chops. He knows they're lying, you know, he breaks in, he's trying to get his evidence. And uh, and now he kind of seems like he's coming on he's coming unwound. He's getting a little crazy. He but he finds the bug, and I think that that was a a, a good sort of. He's not just going to win the day like a cowboy. He kind of gets knocked back down again in this in this turn of events. Jonathan and Nancy make a plan to look for it. So now we're starting to see more people are believing and sensing that there is an it. There is a thing out there, and they make their plans. Um, the boys question their teacher about other dimensions. Really, really good side character. He's not in it a whole lot, but anytime the teacher shows up, I think he does a great job. So they're questioning him about other dimensions. The compass discovery is actually believable. Like the boys actually figure out, I mean, Dustin does, that they could use their compasses to find this great source of power because their compasses are not working properly. I thought that was, I liked that. I mean, obviously it's a show where kids kind of do things that are a little bit out of the realm of the ordinary, but they always make it believable, you know, getting around on their bikes and stuff you know it lines up with the teacher's comments they set that up well um the lawyer paper find is great i was really glad this happened i did not want uh the ex-husband to hang out anymore i've become at this point i'm a fan of joyce she's fierce she can handle us on her own she kicks him out i love it she's fierce she's get out of here i love it she conveys the scope of emotion that she conveys from rage to anger to sadness is is always stellar, and I was really glad to get him the frick out of the frame. I don't like this guy. Um, the Hopper phone call with his ex. This is another one of those moments where they just drop a little bit of pain and backstory, but not much. You know, he calls his ex, and then he hears a baby in the background, and by this time you know that they, they lost their daughter at some point, we don't know how, and calling his ex-wife... Uh, he hears a baby in the background and it's clear she's moved on as he sits sort of in a demolished trailer uh, paranoid and not really know knowing what you know which way's up he ends the call as soon as he hears the baby um, Jonathan and Nancy you know kind of going through the woods together and they they kind of start bickering I actually liked Jonathan's takedown of Nancy he kind of verbally tears her down about you know, I'm going to rebel in the most cliche way and do what my parents don't want. There's a there's a tension brewing between them that I think is well done. Uh, they do it in a way where it seems unlikely that they would be to get like together working on something and even becoming friends uh, or more. Maybe we don't know. And I think it's honest and it's brutal. I mean, he just shreds her. And then you kind of feel bad for Nancy. You're like, oh, man, that was that was pretty harsh. What he uh, what he what he did. This was the moment we've all been waiting for. Hopper finally tells Joyce that the body was a fake. This is a huge moment. I mean, it's so validating to what Joyce knew. He says, you were right the whole time you were right. Such a great line. He validates the fact that she's been right this whole time. Her face. Oh, this is one of the That's still, to me, one of the best moments. Every time I've watched season one, I'm waiting for the moment when Joyce finally hears that she was right and the body is a fake. Um, then, you know, tensions kind of rise with the kids and Elle hurts Lucas by accident. Uh, you're kind of seeing her powers uh, can be dangerous if she loses her temper or loses control. Uh, and then, you know, the boy, you know, Mike's like, what is wrong with you? He yells at her. I like that there's this immaturity with the boys because there's this blend of 
they're kind of in over their heads. They almost seem like old souls and young bodies, and yet they're still kids. They still lose their temper. They still say mean things to each other. I think that adds a good element to the show. It's real. It feels authentic, as opposed to them just running around and saving the day. The tensions rise very easily, and if you've ever been around kids this age, that's accurate. They, they're they're hot tempered, uh, and they can they fight a lot. Her flash her flashback to spying on the Ru- uh, the Russian, and this is the first time we hear sort of like demogorgon sounds. So we're starting to slowly kind of piece together what may have happened since she goes into this other realm through the water tank, and then she hears something that we know is very very dangerous. And at this point in time, they're in the flashbacks. They're primarily worried with weaponizing her powers. They're not really worried about whatever this whatever this big giant gross crack in the basement is, as well as this. Uh, uh, this demogorgon running around. Jonathan and Nancy uh, have the deer jump scare. You know, the deer gets pulled away, but then Nancy finds the upside down and she sees the demogorgon eating. And that's the end of the episode. This is one of the first times somebody else goes into the upside down for an extended amount of time. We get a decent amount of slow shots. When Barb went there, it was kind of unclear what was going on. You sort of knew she was in the pool, but not. And this is the first time you sort of start to get a sense for that. So season six. Six, I'm sorry, episode six opens right up with Jonathan and Nancy able to hear each other, but they're not there. It's like you're starting to get a glimpse in how it's the upside down. It's the quote unquote other side. And we get some really good looks at the Demogorgon. That I think was a, a, a probably a risk from the director's decision uh, from their standpoint to show the Demogorgon in such great detail and so often. I'm really, really glad they do because it leads to some good things later and that's all I'm going to say about that. But I am glad it wasn't one of those B-movie, we never really get to see the monster. I'm not a fan of that. I know that's a stylization thing. That's a directing choice thing. But I'm actually really, really glad that they that they show us the Demogorgon. Uh, he put Jonathan pulls her out of the tree and now we have a living witness of the Upside Down who went in and got out. So that can give you a glimmer of hope as a viewer. It's like, okay, she got in, but she also got out. And clearly the Demogorgon can come and go as it pleases because it comes out and takes the deer back into its lair, you know, to eat. Or not its lair, but into the, into the Upside Down. You could sort of see that the tree hadn't returned to its true form yet. It sort of stayed open. So we're getting a glimpse into maybe some of the mythology of the Upside Down is when this area opens, this this gateway opens, it stays open for a time, and then eventually it closes back up. Um... Steam's, Steve seems to care about Nancy. He's kind of getting annoyed with his friends. That's just a little bit of a seed plant. I, you know, more happens with that later. Uh, and then he sees her with Jonathan. So he, you can you can sort of sense a, t- a tension now with Steve where he cares for Nancy and he likes Nancy. He, he's aware he kind of screwed it up. Uh, but also, he's sick of his friends. Like You can sense it like almost like a rift forming there, which makes at least me it makes me like him more it makes me appreciate his character more that he's not just going to be like the the dude in the <laughs> show like he he's sort of he's sort of coming along to be maybe maybe likable we're not sure yet Hopper retells everything to Joyce and she keeps wanting to know more and more about what was there um they realize there's another kid She's like, that's not artwork that my boy would draw. They realize there's another kid. She wants details. Like, what, what, how do you know this is a place where there was kids and stuff? There's room, there's drawings, there's stuffed animal. Um, 
now is sort of the more development between Jonathan and Nancy and I like that they do this in what feels like I think like an innocent and sort of an honest way Uh, his instinct to stay the night is good Um, you can sense it's not all about like oh I'm here to to make Nancy feel safe he's scared too I thought that was good. I thought that was honest. I think you would be terrified if only you and one other person saw this monster that could just come out whenever it wanted and kill something. Um, I, I did. I liked that. It wasn't sort of this this valiant, I'm the white knight. I'm here to stay the night so that you feel safe. It's like, no. Uh, <laughs> no, he's scared too. You know, that's one of the, his reason for staying the night is also uh, self, you know, self-interest. And then he does get into the bed. But there is something very pure about it, but uniting. Uh, They do a good job with the framing here to show Nancy feels very, very, almost she feels younger in this scene, like a little girl. And he does too. He feels like a young boy. They're, They're this... They're unified in their fear of a monster. You know, it's, it's, is there a monster under the bed? Is there a monster in the closet? I think there's something pure about that scene, and I like uh, that they included that. It's almost like at the beginning of them sort of uniting uh, as friends in their, in their mission. The next morning, Nancy starts to piece together what the Demogorgon is and the fact that, like, blood draws it. She's making, you know, parallels to other predators like sharks. The fact that it needs to feed, etc. It's a living thing, uh, which obviously means it could probably be hurt. And so that leads to some more things later in this episode. Dustin confronting Mike about first blood and rule of law is great. Dustin really, I think uh, we, we did a poll the other day in the live chat and Dustin was one of the most picked favorite characters and you can start to see why he is, uh, he's like the only one who really sees everything. He's the only one who's got his head on straight in a lot of the scenes. Like, you know, Lucas and Mike are more emotional, more volatile and Dustin, Dustin's like the thinker. He's the, he's the intellectual <laughs> of the group and he does a great job kind of speaking truth uh, that Mike needs to hear Uh, Mike and Lucas won't shake and then here's more great parallels Dustin reminds them about a time they split up in D&D and it didn't go well but the Lucas leaves he's like nope I'm out of here so again the D&D parallels continue and they split up uh, Ellen, the grocery store. This is one of the more iconic moments in the show. This begins some, you know, more of the uh, the Eggo waffle things. She gets the flashback. She's back in the water. Uh, and then again, we see that she's getting better with her, not just maybe better with her powers, but more, uh, more confident in her powers. She takes the Eggos. She uses her powers to move a shopping cart and then slam the door. She doesn't look back. She just does it. And here is when things... I think get really, really interesting because you know you're getting close to the end of the season. You're in episode six and there's only two episodes left, seven and eight, all right? Hopper and Joyce visit Terry and now we're, we're digging way down deep into the backstory of really what has gone on and I love that they, they do this. So we'll talk about that in just a second. Mike and Dustin discuss best friends, I think in an honest way. Again, I love it. Dustin's like, I get it. I got here late. You guys were already together. You were already best friends and Mike Mike's like, I can have as many best friends as I want. And Dustin's like, no. Again, Dustin's the intellectual. He's like, it's not possible. It's not how it works. You can only have uh, one, you know, one best friend. Terry's sister explains the experiments with the CIA and they wanted to expand the power of the human mind. And this is the just the masterful storytelling that that takes place in Stranger Things. You're you're slowly validated as the viewer cuz you know what's going on and then as the story 
trickles out, you're like, yes, more people are going to get to see, like, what is this? What is going on? Terry was pregnant at the time. She describes, quote unquote, Jane as a weapon with mind powers. And if your gears don't start turning your head at this point, man, I love that they did this. This is so much deeper than just some random, you know, girl that was being experimented on. And they use flashbacks to make it clear that Eleven is Jane. I like that they do this. They're not trying to be like, I don't know, is it her? No, they use black and white. I think it's black and white. They use flashbacks to make it very, very clear that L11 is Jane. She is Terry's daughter. Jonathan and Nancy buy their monster hunting equipment. This is, again, some of the mixture of, you know, kind of humorous with kind of serious. Nancy even tells the guy we're going monster hunting. Um... And then there's the movie spray paint, and this is the uh, this is the continuing of the romantic rift uh, in the show. Uh, wrote something kind of nasty, and uh, Nancy confronts Steve about the movie spray paint, and this. This this scene leads to one of those frustrating moments where you know Jonathan gets arrested because he rears back and accidentally hits a cop. You hate you always hate when you see somebody who doesn't really deserve it, but you know he just whoops on Steve, and you're kind of wanting this, right? You're kind of wanting this. You're wanting to see Steve get his due because he's being a jerk and he's and 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 he deserves it in the scene especially because he starts shoving Jonathan. He starts saying things that are totally out of line about Jonathan's family, about Jonathan's, you know, brother, like this this was needed. He needed his face to be busted for what he said. He got his due and I like that Jonathan was able to clearly be the winner of the fight because it was it was a yeah. Get, he got his comeuppance in that scene. Hopper and Joyce leave Terry's, and, and, and you know, and Hopper says we're gonna find him. Um, and he tells her, and again, I, I there's there's obviously parallels here, or at least there's backstory to um, Hopper's motivation. And he says it's a chance. What I would give for a chance. Just so good. That's such a deepening of your your appreciation for Hopper that he sympathizes and empathizes here. He is in. Like, he is in. He's like, what I wouldn't have given for a chance to save my daughter, we are gonna find your son. Oh, I love that. That comes in more in a couple of, uh, in the other episodes that we're not gonna talk about right now. I love, I love that, that development and that depth uh, to Hopper's character. Um... Nancy brings the ice to the Jonathan at the cop station and she realizes that he cares for her. You always love the subtle older person wisdom that happens in these movies and the older lady at the cop station is like, this guy loves you. (laughs) No man's gonna do what he just did if there's not love behind it. And I like that there's this beginning narrative of she even, Nancy kind of makes a face like she realizes there is something here between us and you as the viewer are are thankfully let in on it because I, you know, you kind of want this. You kind of want this to happen, I think. Uh, Lucas finds the laboratory all by himself. So that's obviously a little concerning, but he finds the laboratory. Mike and Dustin run into the bullies. Uh, uh, this goes back to the D&D parallel, okay? They split up, and it brings problems. They run into trouble, and Mike jumps. Uh, this is a moment that I think could have felt maybe, uh, maybe jumping the shark's not the right term, but maybe they went a little too far. I don't know how I land on this one. Mike jumping seems like maybe they would have tried to fight. I don't know. It seems crazy that Mike just jumps into this quarry and then he floats back up. 
but it ends up being a pretty powerful scene because you see the depth of the strengths like how strong l really is she catches this guy and then you can see the rage and the anger she is protective she breaks homeboy's arm she just snaps his arm with her head and he's lucky that's all he got honestly as angry as she was in that in that scene so obviously you're excited for the justice the special effects were decent here, you know, of Mike flying. It was a little green screenish. Wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. It was good. I liked it. I was glad it happened. You're like, oh my gosh, what is going on? You're hoping for like a heroic moment here, like Mike faked them out or something. Dustin kind of ends up stealing the show. She's crazy, you know. She'll kill you, you sons of, you know. And he's swearing. He's like, she's crazy. I love that. I love that. He's like yelling at him as they run away about how crazy she is. Um, and then we get a flashback. L touches the Demogorgon and creates creates the gate. We finally realize what, how did this happen? How did this gate open? How did the Demogorgon get out? And we find out that L is the one who did it. So that deepens your, I think your awareness of why, why there's like a sadness and maybe even a guilt that she carries because she feels that it's her fault. Mike says, you're not the monster. You save me. Right. And they have like a group hug real touching moment and then I have eyes on them the episode ends they go back to the house on the bikes episode ends I have eyes on them we go from the they're back together with L touching moment touching hug to looming threat of the bad men they know where they are they're at Mike's house they just got there and we'll have to wait for next week episode 7 and 8 to discuss it we'll be watching episode 8 tonight as a watch party in the discord if you're listening to this elsewhere you like my breakdowns or you like some of the discussions we're going to have we have some questions submitted so we will be doing a Q&A I don't know about a VIP call in that's done on demand as always you can catch me live at repeattheaterlive.com Monday through Thursdays around 3pm Eastern it's an interactive podcast style where basically we do a book club for movies and TV shows uh, Marvel movies Breaking Bad and Stranger Things right now we got some great things coming so be sure to check out these episodes live as always if you listen or catch these elsewhere please like share and subscribe Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater. This is going to be the Q&A session that followed my review of Stranger Things Season 1, Episodes 5 and 6. If you're listening to this in any other location other than YouTube, you can always catch me live at repeattheaterlive.com. Repeattheaterlive.com will bring you to the YouTube channel. You can click subscribe, the bell button, maybe the join button if we get it unlocked, but for now, you can go to repeattheater.com to join the Patreon. Uh, You just have to take the live out. Repeattheater.com for Patreon, and then repeattheaterlive.com for the YouTube. So Agent Atwood says favorite moments, favorite moments. This is one of his favorite questions to ask. And I actually like that he asks this question because it gives me an opportunity to maybe comb back over and highlight something that maybe I glossed over too much. But I think I made it pretty clear in my review what my favorite moment was. At least in episode, um, at least in episode five where he, uh, he tells Joyce, Hopper tells Joyce, you were right the whole time you were right. Um, I, I think this is my third time rewatching this, and in both times it's been a rewatch for me. I rewatched it with my wife because I knew a new season was coming out, and I was like, "Oh, hey, let's binge these, and then we can watch it all together." And this is my third time, and I'm just waiting. When is Hopper gonna find the body that and know that it's fake? And when is Hopper gonna tell Joyce? Because everyone looks at Joyce like she's crazy, and you know, as the viewer, that she's not. You are in her corner. You're like, "Oh, she's right." There's, there is, there's something here. There's something else going on. And that moment, you're kind of almost, at least I am. I was like holding my breath for that moment. 
And then the next favorite moment, it would I, I'm not going to pick when L saves them and breaks the bully's arm. I'm not. I know people are probably expecting that. I know a lot of people probably think that's one of the better moments. I love it. You know, L looks angry and kind of mean and menacing. She does that good, like, lowers her head thing and, and breaks his arm. I'm going to pick the moment where Hopper said, we will find him. And he says, it's a chance. What I would give for a chance. Like, I... That's one of the things about this show that's... It's it's so much more noticeable on the rewatch. If it's your first time watching it, I really encourage you to give this a rewatch because the deepening of the characters is something that this show does so so well. You know, cuz for me I, I always like character-driven shows. That's why I like Breaking Bad so much. You watch the transformation of Walter White, you see the things happen, you know, you see the different pain and the and the the frustration and it's why I loved Lost. I mean, I know people don't like the the ending of Lost, the last season. I actually liked it, uh, and I know a lot of people are split on that. That'll probably be a show that gets rotated through repeat theater. But Lost was very character driven. Uh, you you got backstory. You got to understand why somebody was mean or nasty or or maybe wasn't who you thought they were. And I think that Stranger Things does a masterful job of character developments, and they do it in a way that I think is really challenging because it's a big cast. It's a big cast and we're six episodes in and I love Hopper, right? I love Joyce. It's a massive cast and we're six episodes in. You know what, 45 minutes an episode? So how much airtime has Hopper really gotten? How much airtime has Joyce gotten? This is why I like television in some respects more than movies because you have more time uh, to spend on a particular character. They've had more time over the episodes to slowly drop you know, information and, and, and things and have those deepening effects of a character. And just a little scene like that, where you can see in Hopper this 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 drive to help Joyce, and it is obviously linked to the loss of his own daughter. And a scene where he calls his ex and he hears a baby cry and like he ends the call. Um again, it's it's like they put it's like they put a novel of backstory in a thimble. It's like they take this novel of a backstory of so many things that happened to him and they put it in a thimble this teeny little scene boop, and you're like oh, wow the pain this guy must feel the you know the 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 sadness he must feel and you and you end up um liking them even more um I'm the same about character-driven shows as long as the characters are believable and well-developed. The genre almost doesn't matter. It's really true if you think about it. I mean, Stranger Things, Breaking Bad, and Lost are so, so different. And yet, I enjoyed them equally uh, and for different reasons and different merits. But man, the stories are really what I come away with and be I'm so attached to. You know, I'm a really emotional person, especially after a couple years of therapy. Like, I'm more... more free to show emotion and feel emotion rather than push it down and I get really emotional in TV shows all the time now the, the, we're not there yet obviously so I'm not going to say why but the most recent season ender of Stranger Things I was an absolute train wreck like just crying like a baby I just I don't know I I cried in an episode of Agents of Shield, you know? I if it's the right if it's the right cocktail of elements, usually what happened in Agents of Shield was like a dad and a daughter and I was just a toe is a disaster cuz I'm a dad with a daughter. And uh so I, this this show gets me emotional almost every episode something just whew, get, it gets me there was a, there was a scene last night in episode 6 that just man I could I was in the moment I could feel it and and then 
I think one of the reasons is they got a great cast and uh, and Joyce really sells it in a lot of the scenes. Uh, that's why I like her so much. I almost like <laughs> I almost like the scenes with her and Hopper more than the boys. Like I know the boys and L are like sort of center stage. They're almost kind of like the central hurricane of events and things happening. But uh, I'm usually more interested in in Hopper and Joyce. So since having kids, yeah, yeah, dude kids will mess with you man you're so like man i'm such a crybaby. <laughs> i just i wear it proudly i wear it proudly giza i was slightly baffled as to why hopper was allowed to live while other people who got too close to the truth were executed do you think it was because he's too prominent in the hawkins community or maybe they thought he'd be more useful alive i think they're this is actually a great question I'm only gonna I'm only gonna make statements based on what we've seen so far because things more things develop, but on what we've seen so far, this laboratory has a problem. Okay, this is gonna they they gotta fix this. They gotta clean this up, and more than likely they didn't want to leave a trail of bodies. They killed the guy at the diner, and I think they didn't want to just keep leaving this trail of bodies. Like you killed that you killed the town sheriff. And you're going to have a situation on your hands. You know, he disappears or whatever. That's that's going to be tough. Also, also, I think they wanted to know what's he going to do next. Because th- their, their goal is damage control, right? Their goal is damage control. And it seems like they wanted to know more or less like can he lead us to L when he woke up it looked like he was uh, set up to die from a drug overdose see I thought that too but then why would you put a bug in the house right maybe uh, you know maybe they were thinking somebody would show up and they would get some intel maybe he's a big guy and they didn't give him enough of whatever he was supposed to get because he was he's broken out in a cold he was broken out in a sweat Maybe he survived whatever they tried to do. Maybe it's supposed to be vague and we're not really supposed to know. To me, it seemed a little bit more like they didn't want to leave a trail of bodies. They'll keep tabs on this guy. And if they have to get rid of him, they can. But I I, I really do think they couldn't risk leaving a trail of bodies. There's more scenes that you'll see where the quote-unquote bad men interact with people and they're not just cold-hearted killers they're not just running around you know gunning people down um which i honestly look back and wonder you know the killing the guy at the diner doesn't seem necessary but maybe because he saw the girl and they were gonna basically be like oh we got her let's get her out of here maybe that's why they killed him because they couldn't have any eyewitnesses to her and since they couldn't confirm whether or not Hopper had seen um, they couldn't see whether or not he had seen her maybe they thought him knowing about the fake body would be good because he would join in crazy town with Joyce and then that would help lead them to L because they would obviously start looking and researching stuff Um, you're just a Winona Ryder fanboy here's the thing I'm actually not. I had a huge crush on her in high school. I, I I still think she is absolutely gorgeous, but I actually love what she brings to this show more from the realm of acting. 
she's a bit of a wreck the entire time. She's frazzled. Her hair's always a mess. She's smoking. You know, her hands are shaking. Um, so I like her more as as what she brings to the table with the emotional intensity uh, and the and she brings such a severity to the screen. I really do think she steals the show. She without her, I don't think this this I don't think. Uh, it would have done as well. I, I think it would have been successful, but I think she's just a, a, a really, really nice crown jewel of just just strong, strong acting. I think she elevated the performances of the other people on the show. Honestly, I do. Uh, Jonathan, what he brings, and and the gravity and the and and Hopper. I think she made everybody else better uh, on the show. I really, I'm I'm not kidding. <laughs> I think she she she's so so excellent. Um, so. Next question, uh, King Arthur. What was your favorite interaction, quote, or conversation from each episode and why? Well, it's a repeat. Uh, he beat you to it. Agent, he beat you to it. I'll pick another one. I'll pick another one. Um, I'll go more comedic. I liked, I loved Dustin's contribution to the dialogue about you drew first blood. You know the rules. This is rule of law. Uh, that, you know, establishing him as more of like the intellectual. He seems smarter. Um, he also seems like somebody who wants them to fix this. Like he cares. It's like we got to figure this out. We got to find. Uh, we got to find Will. So I, I like that moment as well. Uh, let's see here, Giza with another one. Cheeky second. I really like how Dustin came into his own in these episodes as the brains and the mediator of the group. Also, how they have used D&D as a basis for their group interactions. It adds a lot of authenticity to their relationship. Do you feel the same? Yeah, because even last night, he's making more references and he's being... He, yeah, he's bringing... He really is. I, and I agree. I like how you call him... Um, he's the brains and the mediator. I said, you know, he's the intellectual. So we're obviously picking up on similar themes there. Mike is... Mike and Lucas are more, uh, they're more emotionally driven. And I actually think that's really good, subtle. It's so subtle, but that's almost like some subtle backstory as to why they're friends. That's how friends are. They kind of throw in together and they have similarities, which leads to clashes and fights. Sometimes best friends can have the hottest fights, right? You know, it's just really, really bang up yelling and throwing and, you know, ah, like, and, and Dustin kind of comes in as mediator, as brains. He's, he's that calm voice. And yes, the... I was I was glad they brought that back because it kind of hadn't brought back some of the D and D parallels to everything that goes on, and they do it in the very beginning. You know, they do it in the very beginning. They 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 call it the Demogorgon, and then Will kind of foreshadows. He tells Mike, he's like, "The Demogorgon got me." Um, he's honest. You see, just that that honest purity on Will's face when he tells. Uh, Mike, he, you know, before leaving on his bike, he's like, yeah, the Demogorgon got me. You know, a little bit of foreshadowing there. And then more foreshadowing when, when, when Dustin says, do you remember the time that we split up and we got taken out one by one? And then it seems like that's going to happen. They're going to get taken out one by one. Mike jumps what y- he would have jumped to his death. And then who knows what they would have done to Dustin. These, you know, these, these cold-hearted kids. Oh my gosh, right? And Maybe that's a subtle form of storytelling that we're supposed to see here is that, yes, it's like D&D and yes, there's parallels, but L is the new factor in the equation. She's the one. She's the she's the hero. You know, she can she can she can jump spaces on the board and do things that they can't. She has actual magical powers, uh, sort of a mixing of worlds, right? Like the Demogorgon comes in 
and and but L's here too. I, I that's 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 some decent you know observation that they do the D and D parallels. Well, then who is L? Like what is her representation um, in the equation? Because she basically saves them from utter ruin because they split up. They don't listen. They split up, and it, it could have gone really poorly for them. Krebsy says, given the show has so many great characters, which one would you like to play in the series? Or would you live in the Stranger Things universe? I feel like you'd be great as the sheriff. Oh, I don't even know. Like, if, if I was in if I was in the Stranger Things universe, I don't know who I would want to be because I like Jonathan, but at the same time, I would want to be in as many scenes as I could be with with Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> whatever however much airtime I can get with her to learn from her and to and to glean from her you know the acting and the delivery like I said like I feel like she elevates the other people on the show I'd want to be in as many scenes as I could be with Joyce because I, if, if from an artistic perspective if, like I, I did I was into acting in high school and and uh, you know in drama for four years and if I ever got into acting that would be a dream come true to work with somebody at that level um, somebody that you just respect and admire so much and that might end up being Hopper I like I like Hopper I think I think they do a great job in this show of making you slowly fall in love with a character that at the beginning you're just kind of like I don't know what I think about this guy he's kind of dismissive he's kind of a slob you know he seems kind of lazy but man he comes into his own he really really does uh and and he's damaged right he's damaged i think damaged characters are more interesting because it feels more honest that's that's true to life right uh very few people skate through life without loss and without sadness um so that would be my that would be my answer there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of male leads to pick from there's papa you know the creepy guy with the white hair there's jonathan hopper and then steve i would not pick steve um and we all know like you know i I don't want to spoil anything so i'm not going to say anything more but anyway um Agent Atwood, in my opinion, the first four episodes were very different from the normal sci-fi horror genre because they defy normal cliches. However, it feels like they're starting to be a lot more cliche with parts such as Nancy going to investigate the Upside Down rather than look for Jonathan first. Thoughts? Yeah. You see, I wonder if... I don't know if I agree with you. I want to maybe defend what Nancy did. I think Nancy is headstrong and feels guilty. And I think that would drive somebody to do something at an almost instinctive or emotional level. She really wants to find Barb. You can tell she carries it. It's heavy on her. And and then she just had this thing with Steve, you know, this this big fight or whatever. Well, no, that's not that's after the 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 upside down. Um so before the before the fight with Steve, I'm just trying to think. Did they give us enough reason um, to feel like she would have done that? Here, here's what I'm gonna say. Sometimes in TV shows, it's hard for us to remember that she didn't know what she was doing. You did as the viewer. So you're like, this is so dumb. Why would she do that? Oh my gosh, you wouldn't go sticking your head in there. I, she doesn't know what she's doing. All she knows is it's weird, it's glowing. She's overwhelmed by curiosity. Again, she's also driven by guilt and 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 sadness and like she wants to figure out, you know, where is Barb? 
and so I don't think it's like when there's a murderer in town and somebody like opens the door and she's like hello is anybody out here and she like steps out on the lawn you know in a little petite pair of shorts and a tank top like who's there like yeah that's always kind of stupid it's like you know there's a murderer around what are you doing like you wouldn't do that I think in this scenario though it doesn't feel as cliche because of how strong how strongly driven she is to find Barb and she has no idea what's in there. She doesn't know what the Demogorgon is. She doesn't know that it was the Demogorgon. And she has no idea that she's about to go into another dimension. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where she could get trapped and die. You know all that. So you have a greater sense of fear and awareness that she doesn't. And I think sometimes in movies and TV shows, it's hard to remember like, yeah, a real person would be curious and maybe stick their head in there. Um... And she realizes that it's something else. She crawls through, you know, it's like, oh, what could this be? Could this be a hideout? Could this be, you know, some underground cave where some weird monster's hiding where, where Barb is or something? So, I don't know. If you think that's dumb, you'll love some decision-making in season two. <laughs> yeah, I, I forget some of the things that happen, so we'll have to wait to discuss that. So, But those are great questions. I think I think this is a good one, because I do think they avoid some of the tropes and some of the cliches. Uh, I definitely agree with that. And that's one of the things I think that makes a show so good. It's more character-driven than cliche-driven. It's not predictable. It really isn't. Um, and I think that makes the wow moments and the surprise moments uh, more exciting. So... We are going to uh, we're going to transition. I don't know if we have a VIP willing VIP call-ins today, but if we do, we'll do a VIP call-in. If not, the episode will end shortly as a past broadcast. This segment will end, you know, wherever you're listening to it. As always, you can watch live at repeattheaterlive.com or support directly at Patreon by going to repeattheater.com. As always, please like, share, and subscribe. <laughs>